Yeah, it basically looks like that. The Palpatine is all evil. It looks a lot oh, wow. like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I Jedi influence life. Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. This season, we're getting whelmed for DC's greatest sidekicks and covering every episode of Young Justice on... Yeah, another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was a year. Marvin the Martian in the Third Dimension (laughs) was released. It made history as the very first CGI animated feature film to be produced in stereoscopic 3D, otherwise known as being viewed with 3D glasses, and it was replaced by SpongeBob 4D years later. (laughs) Wow, that is really on the nose. So many, you know, every single time I was trying to do research for one character in particular, he was the first person that popped up. But also Marvin does make an appearance in Young Justice. So it's like full circle right now. (laughs) (laughs) And we are talking about Marvin the Martian, this iconic, I I, want to say iconic, like he's iconic. (laughs) (laughs) He he, he pops up, yeah. (laughs) Well, he's a Warner Brothers character. Um, which is why it's great that we're talking about another Warner Brothers production, by which we mean another animated production of Young Justice. We are continuing on with our coverage of it. We have finally wrapped up 75% of the show. We are about to hit the final, well, possibly final season. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Rumors are always going to survive and there's always going to be petitions. So we don't want to confirm or deny whether it's actually gone. But uh, we're starting Young Justice season four. We are in Phantoms right now. A special thing about this season was many things, actually. It was produced uh, for HBO Max in particular after uh, DC Universe had officially shut down. Um, Also, it was produced during COVID. So the announcement of the season four came out during our conversation last week when we were covering the audio play and then that's when it was announced about phantoms coming out but then at that point um covid was happening so fact about this in particular was season four they had started to record all the audio for it all together covid started to happen um so everybody was working from home uh greg weissman um tells a story about how they were able to get some things from some people uh, they were able to get some recordings, but then thankfully to a studio that was really just diligent on their own COVID protocols in terms of allowing people to come in to record, if a voice actor didn't have the space to do so, they gave them a space by allowing them to drive up in their car or get driven over in a car, get then walk through a booth like this, like little tube, kind of like I'm assuming like um, Bubble Boy to get <laughs> to the booth so they could record. And they will have someone on staff clean everything down before the next person has to come in. I, I, I assume they called it a Zeta tube internally. 
Uh, I would when... hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, they have failed me, and I'm not impressed anymore. <laughs> oh, man. but yeah. So there might be some differences in maybe some audio quality throughout the show. We will see, but I'm pretty sure that they did a great job in sound fixing and editing everything. Um, especially as we're covering these first four episodes in Phantoms, inhospitable, needful, volatile, and involuntary. All animation services was done by Studio Mer, uh, which we've talked about in the past, has done a lot of either stuff we've grown up with or some a bunch of other um, DC animated productions as well. And we're also going to talk about the fact that in this season in particular, it is broken down into arcs, um, very much like an anime here. Mm. As we start off with episodes one through four is the Superboy Miss Martian arc. Um this is our way of getting a chance to see, as the producers wanted it to be done, um, to see where each person from the Year Zero team, where they are now, about 10 years later, two cancellations and growth and all that. Um, so with all this to say, we have Superboy and Miss Martian to start it off. And the titles for this one, which I actually just learned very recently, the title for the title cards for this season actually spell out something in particular, just like our season last season. Uh, it not... is a bit of a hmm. it is a bit of a spoiler. Um, so I could say it now, or I could wait until it's all done. Yeah, I mean, I can't even see what it is yet. Just looking at the title, so <laughs> we can save it. All right. So um, so we're going to wait on that. Again, we're starting with our Superboy Miss Martian episode titles is what I'm calling this because we are breaking this down into the arcs. Our cast list is as follows. we got Nolan North as Superboy. Danica McKellar is Miss Martian. Greg Sipes is Beast Boy. Uh, we got a famous DC voice actor. I mean, he's an actor and voice actor in general, but he has been voicing so many characters in the DC universe, including at time as Batman and Batman the Brave and the Bold, as we have uh, D. Bradley Baker, who is Chameleon Boy, Kar Maong, and Dasad. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next up, Ben Diskin returns to do harm as Makam or Ma'alafa'ek. Damn him. <laughs> Damn him. Not the actor, just the, the character. Just harm. <laughs> uh, we got Carrie Walgren, who is Saturn Girl, Phantom Girl, and Mama Moores, uh, who plays Jen Moores. Uh, Mama Moores sounds just better to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, next up in the McGann family, we got Hinden Walsh, who is voicing Emery Johns. Uh, Kevin Michael Richardson is John Jones, or the Martian, the sorry, the Martian Manhunter. And finally, to wrap up our list, we have the original voice actor for the Martian Manhunter during our Justice League Justice League Unlimited series of timelines. We have Carl Lumbly, who is Matt Moores, playing the father. Of Miss Martian. Or Isaiah Bradley for you Marvel fans. Yes, yes, yes. Put some respect on the first black Captain America. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. So now that we got our cast list, a run through of what to expect for season four, let's Zeta Tube over to the beginning of Inhospitable. As the great philosopher said, it started off with a kiss. How did it end up like this? Because we see a kiss of Superboy and Miss <laughs> Martian before we get uh, 
get whelmed for their wedding because they're going to go get married. But before they do a civil ceremony on Earth, they're going to go to Mars so they can do it traditionally. And there are a couple of updates we see right here. We're back in Happy Harbor. So we see that now Harper and Cullen are living in the superhero house. They're away from their bad parents. Um, we also learn that Brion is not speaking to Violet or Tara. Um, so they still don't know where he is. He's kind of in the wind. And this trip they're making is a one-month trip each way. So I do appreciate, again, the space accuracy here of how long mm-hmm. it would realistically take you to make that trip uh, with a, you know, enhanced spaceship given. But it's a, it's a, so three months total, they're going to be gone. And Beast Boy is coming along. And the first thing he does is make a knockoff Star Trek Trek ship. So I hope they don't get sued. Um, (laughs) And as they take off for this great journey, we see, again, someone with a Legionnaire ring watching in the shadows. Yep. So as this journey begins, we do see we take a one month jump. First, I want to point out, though, that the uh, theme song is back in this mm-hmm. season very happy about that um because it just gives that young justice feel again from back in season one um so now we take a one month jump is march 22nd um mcgann is excited that she actually sees the red planet there um but as she and superboy are just elated over the fact that they're very close to finally getting married uh gar is just I don't even know what to call it. It's just like an angsty teenager that you just like. Honestly, Gar's a dick. <laughs> He's just acting like a dick. Hey, look, in order for Young Justice to run, a sacrifice must be made and there must be a most aggro character of the season. Previous <laughs> award holders have been Superboy, mm. uh, Roy, or Will, I should say now. Uh, and we're both. They could tie. Yeah, and they could tie. definitely Brion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. I'm also going to uh, throw Cyborg in the mix there, too. <laughs> yeah, Cyborg is a fair one. So he, Beast Boy is just joining the club. And as they see, they're entering, um, I'm going to try this, Ma'ala Kaandra. <laughs> there's, yeah, there, I think that was right. There's some strong Martian. You get a great chance to see some strong Martian uh, culture and dialogue coming up as they are greeted by the chief science officer here um, because... Superboy and Beast Boy are the first ones to exit off the ship. So once they start talking with this person, McGann walks up and immediately questions, why is she here? And we it's revealed that this person is actually McGann's sister, Emery Moores, or as she now wants to be called, Emery Jaons, as she transforms herself into more of kind of looking like um, Megan, like from Hello, Megan. And there's like fun little beat about like how many freckles that um, Emery has as Megan, which is like, I'm pretty sure every single cosplayer has ever felt in their life. Like <laughs> that's not comic book accurate or something. <laughs> <laughs> Just pressed. Um, and also changing into Rita, which uh, Beast Boy hates both because mm-hmm. they're both people he's lost and are kind of everyone on the planet kind of imitates TV. Here we also learn that, just to make things easier, the the Earthlings will have a psych a constant telekinetic connection. So they're warned that there is little filter between what you think and what you say. I would not do well on Mars. 
because I would be <laughs> thinking some things too loud. I can keep them to myself on Earth, but in Mars, I I, I would be kicked off of Mars very soon, I think. Uh, Did they it, put raisins in the potato salad out here? <laughs> could you imagine? I'd be like, raisins, 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 just screaming. It wouldn't work. So although they're offered transport, they decide to, the group decides, we want to walk through the streets, experience Mars. And we see, um, interesting, again, because of the Earth TV, there's clones of the Outsiders um, that have, the Martians have shape-shifted into. There's a bunch of Gilbert Godfrey's. Oh, Gilbert yeah. Godfrey's. <laughs> no, that's not Oh, him. God, that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> no. R.I.P. Uh, there's a bunch of G. Gordon Godfrey's on the streets. Uh, so a great subtle thing about showing there's obviously people who are more, let's be honest, left-leaning and right-leaning in this Martian <laughs> culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as uh, the real outsiders meet the fake ones, suddenly Beast Boy and Superboy are hit with a psychic attack. Yeah, it's clear that despite the warm welcome they wanted to expect there are people there are martians on here who seem to have something against um beast Bo- sorry uh mcgann and superboy's union here so they realize it's the garoons uh so to break it down they, we do have um actually we're gonna have this broken down to us a little bit later on but they do notice it's the gurus or rather the green martians who are causing this psychic attack. So McGann tells them, um, first off, back off before, you know, you basically F around and find out. Mm-hmm. And then two, she looks over at Connor and Gar and tells them, hey, I think it's best that we just head over to our parents, to our parents' house because it's clearly getting a little difficult for us out here. And of course, no Young Justice Phantoms episode can't be complete, scene can't be complete without another little lead, Legion of Superhero tease as we see a green Martian who's wearing another L-shaped ring um, who's watching them from the shadows. Yes, so we also, we didn't mention, but the Bioship has separated from the group um, to do its own thing for a while. And we find out that uh, it's in it just transforms into an egg and mm-hmm. sits in a cavern. Don't worry about that now. Right now, worry about the meeting between Superboy McGann, Beast Boy, and McGann's parents, where they uh, talk about how excited they are for the marriage. Um, Beast Boy, um, at one point, Superboy asks for their blessing from the parents, and they reveal that usually it's the other way around um, mm-hmm. for where the, the husband would seek um, the approval of the parents. And I do like the little joke about, did Lex Luthor give you approval? And <laughs> like, no, probably not. Um, and we learn, again, some building tension that Megan has, Megan has like 27 siblings, but all of them were busy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, as a reminder, she is a white Martian and um, as her, is her uh, father. And the rest are the rest of our family are green Martians. Uh, so that has led to some divide between her and her siblings. And then we launch into a lot of Martian heritage lessons that mm-hmm. I wanted to write down, but I felt like I was taking a <laughs> test. 
Don't worry. I think I got it all. <laughs> so we learn that there are about four different types of Martians living on Mars here. Uh, we had the the Bloodrens, who are the Red Martians, the royal family. Um, they are like the high and they do adopt a caste system, so they are like the highest part of the caste. Um, then we also have the Gorens, who are the um the green Martians that were they're basically the more accepted Martians. They are still not as seen as you know well off and good as the um the blood ends, but they are seen as a little better. Now the Aa Shens, these are the white Martians. These are like your Miss Martian, her brother, who um who we were introduced to back in the day. Or for some people, if you're watching, if you watch Supergirl, you know that there was white Martians as well there. These are the Aa Shens. These are the lower class of um of people here of Martians here. They are they receive a lot of the um bullying and the bigotry from a lot of the other uh, Martians. So there is definitely some strong feelings that pop up during this time. And finally, we also get to a chance to learn about the Yelons, which are actually just yellow Martians who adopt the religious faith that Mars has. What they end up doing is once they make this judgment to become a Yelon, they permanently die or rather permanently change their skin to be yellow. And they are almost, as it seems, welcomed by by all because of the fact that they are so within their their faith. However, they do not get a chance to connect or bond with any of the other Martians because they leave celibate lives. And I was not kidding. There is a test. So please uh, take your pencils, take your Scantron uh, mm -hmm. and step over there. We'll come back when you finish <laughs> because <laughs> this is going to be important later. This is going to be on the final. Um, so, yeah, we get this very deep history, cultural lesson about Mars, and it's really, you could say it's earth shattering um, to the point where the ground starts shaking around them. And as they go to investigate, they get, again, accosted by a bunch of Garoons, the Green Martians, who are telling them, who are calling them like uh, Shens and disrespectful and all this. McGann once again shuts this all down, but not before Gar turns into this beast called the Ma'alafa Ek to try and scare them away. And because the Green Martians are so intimidated by this, they start brain blasting him, leading him to more or less pass out. So McGann has to come in, stop the fighting, and they bring everybody back in. He recovers, but now McGann's asking her family, the last time I was here, it wasn't this bad. Why is it that we are being attacked? And and another scene that happens is that they write something on her parents' home. One word is a very derogatory term for the Aashens. And another one is a derogatory term for humans or earthlings. And I need to know what it was because I was ready to fight. Because <laughs> I was like, this ain't yeah. a little too close to home. <laughs> they were covered, the racists were covering all their bases today. <laughs> Um, and we do find that it's a combination of things where they're it, in a clever thing that John Jones led the initiative to bring more Martian and human culture together. He led the initiative to bring, um, to bring the Justice League over to build Zeta tubes and the King, who was very progressive at the time, was for it. He was supporting more Earth-Mars relations. But the king got murdered. 
And they're all in everyone scattered of who could have done it because on a planet full of psychics, you figure it's pretty easy to figure out who murdered the king if everyone's psychically linked. Um, but unfortunately, they don't have the information. They have no idea who did it. So everyone's blaming everyone. The white Martians are blaming the green and vice versa. So now they're trying to figure out who's doing this. And that's increasing the tension of the distrust between the different caste systems. Elsewhere, Bioship melts into goo and comes out of a pool of goo with a mini version of itself. That's what happens. And <laughs> now that that's done, let's go check over to that Zeta tube and see how that's going. <laughs> yeah, so as you mentioned, Emery is um, one of the science officers there. So she's helping her uncle, John build out the Zeta tube connection. Um, thanks, Thankfully to the satellite that's there, the Ma'az Earth communication satellite that's in orbit, they're able to communicate with Superman, who was on the other side, monitoring the um the the building of the the just making sure that the watchtower is outside of the outside the zeta tube range thing that they have set up that was set up by sardaf in the previous season so as they're setting this up again they're kind of like wondering what is going on with like the king's death um who could be responsible and we do get a scene where Somebody who they think might be the culprit does seem to start bringing forth and radicalizing his group of uh, Shens, and that is Makam, aka who actually rather not aka because my dude is just like I want my name to be my Allah for X, and it's just <laughs> like you got to earn that. <laughs> and he's right; he's radicalizing these uh, Shens, telling them that like, hey, you know, these people, the Green Martians are going to blame us for killing their king, even though we probably didn't do it. Um, but what we need to do is rise up against them before they try to take us down. And while that is speeches impassioning people, they get ready to operate the Zeta tube for the first time. And just before they're ready to do it, um, there's a mental link that's like people <laughs> basically get in a big Earth, uh, Mars-wide group chat and say... <laughs> We don't want this turned on. And everybody gives their arguments about how this will ruin the culture, how it will destroy Mars. And I love that John Jones has enough clout to get up on the link and say, silence, everybody. We ain't doing that. All right. I my boy Superman's on the other line. He he he's he missed brunt for this. I, I can't let him down. <laughs> so he says, Look, I'm gonna go through the Zeta tube real quick. Uh, you know, just to make sure everything's Gucci. BRB, and as he goes through the Zeta tube, McGann sees her brother in the corner, catches the brother, and after the brother is caught, the Zeta tube explodes as Martian Manhunter walked through. And it sends everyone into a frenzy because, again, on a planet full of psychics, the news travels super fast, so everyone knows that the Zeta tube was blown up. Everybody knows that someone that this was probably an attack following the the anger towards the establishment of it. But most importantly, the thing that comes up is that Miss Martian can't feel Martian Manhunter's mind touch, which more or less is like kid's way of saying he might be dead. Um. So now that 
we're left to see this like smoldering Zeta tube. We get an end credit scene here. I just wanted to point it out because during this end credit scene, it's a conversation of Black Canary and Violet with, of course, Wolf sleeping by their side. Um, Black Lightning, apparently, as the new leader of the Justice League and wanted to instill uh, more conversations about mental health for the Justice League, the outsiders, and the team. So they're having that conversation. And it's a deep conversation about Gabrielle Dow versus Violet and Violet saying how, as Gabrielle, she recognized that Islam, the Islamic faith, was very strong for Gabrielle. So she wants to know if there's something like that for her. So she's going to take some time to look into that. And that's how our first episode ends. Um, as we hop over to Needful, Again, we are back on Maala Agandra. I'm gonna I'm gonna find yeah. ways. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this will never come up in conversation, but I will promise you I will find a way to properly pronounce this word. Yeah, I, I decided I decided against it. I'm gonna do the opposite and not say any proper <laughs> names. <laughs> but um yeah, we open up to now and back on Mars. Gar has woken up after the explosion and everybody's frantically trying to figure out what happened. Uh, yeah, so everything was uh, everything's in tatters. McGann's brother is, of course, Malafa Ek arrested, and he's like, "Yo, I was I'm just arrested for being black, basically." Because <laughs> let's be honest about what the metaphor is here, people. Um, uh-huh. I mean, for name like Macom, like a mole, Macom X. <laughs> Call him Macom X for now. <laughs> but Malafa Ek is my, it's the name of my people. <laughs> Uh, so as Macom X is taken away, um, Beast Boy is fully ready to go into detective mode. And I love that he's like, I got detective lessons from Tim and Dick. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. And But even as he's saying this so confidently, he is freaking out. You do see him um, mentally already starting to crack here. And as he... As he's trying to put himself together, we get the great news that John Jones is okay. Man is completely unfazed. But unfortunately, even though Cyborg is there, he hasn't been to Mars. So he can't, can't boom tube them safely to a location because he could boom tube them to the, the surface and they're all underground. And that would be horrendously bad for everyone involved. So now they're. They're trying to figure out what they can do because Steel, <laughs> our boy Steel, is on the other side of the Milky Way with the Javelin. Um, so now they're struggling to figure out how are they possibly going to reach out to Earth, to Mars? How are they going to turn this around? And things are only getting worse for them. Yeah, because um, this is, again, they still don't know what's going on. So the, this causes some discord between the white and the green Martians once again. Um, Beast Boy is trying to just get everything back under his own personal control. Luckily for them, um, Emery has the fastest hacker fingers on this side of the sun. So she's able to get use the satellite to get in quick communication with um, Superman, John, and cyborg but during this time the the connection is so unstable that something happens to the satellite and it gets destroyed so now we have the zeta tube and the satellite that has been there for years 
is completely gone. Unfortunately, Cyborg was unable to get like the pinpoint actual location. So now they just decide that the only thing that they can do is just wait for the Javelin to finally arrive. And of course, as we mentioned, this is a planet full of psychics. So rumors start spreading. The you know, people are still thinking that John might be dead, but information is still getting out there. And the person who was probably the loudest one in the room, who I couldn't tell if he was actually just yelling this out, was Res Edda, who immediately accuses Ma'alfa Ek of terrorism, tells him to bring him into the royal palace to get taken into the dungeon so that they can further question him about um, if Martian Manhunter is really dead, what was his involvement in the explosion of the Zeta tube, and was he also responsible for the explosion of the satellite? And ultimately, what is his end goal here? Like, why even come after them in such a big way? Yeah, so McGann decides to do some investigative work, too. And she's kind of putting two and two together of, like, we captured him before the Zeta tube exploded. We He was definitely in our custody when the satellite exploded. So he, it can't directly be him responsible for everything. And as they're putting together the mystery, they also have this conversation between siblings about how McGann and McCom were the two white Martians in their family outside of their, their father. And all their other siblings seem to be racist towards them, to be honest. They seem to be more focused on their clout, on trying to pass for green. Because uh, I guess genetically they were green, but even, I don't know, unless Martian genetics work differently, they were half white Martian as well. Mm-hmm. So they kind of sep- tried to distance themselves from it. And Makam asked McGann, when you went to Earth, why didn't you take me? You should have protected me because I was a kid. And McGann hits him with, I was a kid too. I didn't know what to do, so I stowed away to Earth. And I didn't think about you. I didn't think about taking you. Because if she had, he might not have become so radicalized. He might have had the same freedom and joy that she has now. But that time is too late. So now... Um, after the scene, we go back to the scene of the crime where um, after paying respect to elongated man for his detective skills, again, <laughs> nice. Yeah. We get a visit from the prince. Yes, we get introduced to Prince Jem. Um, he arrives to, he gives a bit more context of like why things are the way they are right now, this discourse between Martians. He says a lot of it stems from the murder of his father. And, you know, he was already planning to reopen the case with now that um John Jones was on was on planet. But Connor and Gar offer their assistance because they do believe that maybe there might be some connection to the destruction of the Zeta II, the destruction of the um the satellite, and maybe this fought his father's uh case. Because as we mentioned earlier, the king was a big proponent for um welcoming earthlings and the earth side of things because of the fact that he saw what it was doing the good things it was doing for his country and for his his planet um prince jm only has one thing he just requested just be kept in form and the more that um this is happening we get a chance now that we're building up on like the sides where it's like 
McGann knows is not her brother because, um, as mentioned, he didn't know anything about the explosion of the satellite, showing that he didn't have any part in that. And now as she heads on back, they realize that they have to find some way to figure out if all of these things are connected um, so they can find out if there's somebody they need to send up river. But before we figure that out, we got to go to the sacred river um, because this is where McGann and Connor decide to take a break from everything happening here to continue on with their wedding planning. Yeah, I mean, I guess you would know better than me if, if, if you know, Wedding stuff is expensive, so I guess you got to keep your appointments. Uh, yeah, I can I can see that. Plus, I I also I got married during uh the the pandemic, so I think it's probably one of those cases where it was just like we can't if it's if it keeps building up. <laughs> there's no reason for us <laughs> to continuously push it off if it's like we're at a point where it's just like this might be the only time. Um, so yeah, it's. It's wild to see that McGann and Connor are also that their weddings, their religious ceremony takes multiple days. It is um, it's interesting to see because it is a chance for us to see a bit more of the Martian culture. Uh, of course, Gar is not really into it, but we do get a chance to meet the sorceress priestess, uh, Sira Smith, who is going to be performing the the gift of love. I believe is actually pronounced the Ma'ayavaana. Nice. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And because of that, because of everything that's happening, they're like working out scheduling. They're like, all right, well, this priestess can't do tomorrow because, um, well, the Connor and McGann can't do tomorrow because they're going to be investigating this crime. Um, the priestess can't do the following day because it's Prince Ja'em's birthday. So she has to be there for a performance. So they decide that they're going to get married within three days. And uh, yeah, there's some fun stuff here, too, because we get a in this like downtime. Beast Boy finds new animals to imitate. Um, we also get a, a quick line about, oh, yeah, you guys are Earthlings are good at showing solving crimes because you have all those shows about it. So Earthlings are just naturally inclined to solve crimes. <laughs> all that law and order and NCIS paying off. Um, and we do get a quick highlight reel of McGann and Superboy's love where McGann was like you were so cute back then and and Superboy's like I literally look the same (laughs) I have not aged on the outside I well mm -hmm. I mean he hasn't aged but he he got more sleeves I think that's the biggest change (laughs) it's maturing when you have sleeves um (laughs) so you know, if things get too happy, you know that can't last. So while they're walking along the riverbank, there is a cave-in. And the legionnaires happen to be near the cave-in, and they have to hide themselves quickly. And McGann tries to search for it because she senses their presence. And I do, do love that they, her, Beast Boy, <laughs> and um, Superboy end up under rocks. And... So McGann's like, oh, I'm going to go and check that out. Super, you got this, right? He's like, uh, I- yeah. And he's <laughs> like, are you serious? Help. Super's like, no. But by the time she gets to the Legionnaires, they're already gone. And furthermore, um, Superboy is bleeding. Yeah, and it starts to... McGann starts to freak out a bit, but Beast Boy immediately goes into, like, triage mode here. Um... 
Connor explains that, you know, he's too far away from the sun. They've been underground for so long. So he hasn't got enough solar energy to recharge his cells. So that is a quick Kryptonian science fact for you all. Mm -hmm. Um, Superman is basically a giant solar panel. Uh, So because he states that he's fine, they all agree that, you know, we'll, they'll continue on, but be cautious because of the fact now that they're realizing that someone is trying to kill them. Um, and this is when we get a chance to go back and see what's happening with Saturn Girl, Fabulous Girl, and Chameleon Boy, who are legionnaires here. And they share that um, Saturn Girl reveals that, like, they almost got exposed because McGann was able to censor mind touch. So moving forward, even though they were pretty close to them, as close as they were, like maybe just two or three people behind them, they now have to increase that distance while searching for him, who we don't know who he is yet. Uh, because the closer they get, the more likely it will be that McGann will be able to sense her psychic touch. And to close out this uh, sudden section, uh, now that Makam X has been released because they didn't charge him, um, he meets up with everyone's favorite chief torturer, Desaad. And Desaad comes with a bomb. And as they talk, Desaad straight up says, your racism on this planet is hilarious. I love to see it. Keep it going. And he reveals that this bomb he's brought will definitely wipe out any green Martians um, and other enemies of Makam. And he said, oh, you know, would it work on half green, half white? Uh, I don't know, because I didn't text it. I didn't have any mixed race subjects, unfortunately. And just a reminder that Desaad is just garbage. If you just, <laughs> if you just <laughs> forgot. And Makam basically says, I cannot wait to commit a genocide. And that's what leads us into, <laughs> that's the tone we're going to end on before our next episode, Volatile. <laughs> yeah, we started off with a mission back on Earth. It is Beast Boy, Robin, Wonder Girl, Star Girl are actually two new uh, faces to the team, uh, Windfall and Stargirl. So Windfall is Wendy Jones, the one from our previous season who um, was a little scared to use her wind powers that it eventually came out of her shell. So she finally joined the team. And Stargirl is Courtney Whitmore, the one who has been like basically like E Tonight um, <laughs> entertainment news reporter for, the, for youths for some reason. She's finally also joined the team. Uh, they're tackling everybody's favorite cult, the cult of Cobra. Um, they're trying to take down Cobra, and there's this huge moment where Beast Boy is just remembering this battle and how well he took lead of this mission so that the, he ended up taking a selfie with the tied-up Cobra with his team. So now that um, he's having that flashback, um, everybody's looking at him wondering what's going on, but more importantly, they're wondering, has Gar slept? at all since he's been here which doesn't get answered because he assures everybody that he's fine so now they have to um again as we mentioned in a previous episode have to go in and check the kingdom um because prince jm invited them to see what information they can find about the cave-in and also about the death of his father yes and we do see that superboy discovers two points of heat impact 
uh, very narrow, very small, tightly wound together. So that's a clue as to what their powers might be. He also used his infrared microscopic microvision. <laughs> his micro expressions. Yeah. <laughs> I was saving one for later, but we'll okay. <laughs> don't worry. It'll 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 come. It'll come. Um and so he's solely he's seeing something on that microvision, but can't quite place what it is. Elsewhere, Bioship has a baby with the entire tribe essentially. Don't judge. That's just how they do it. Don't judge. Um, <laughs> and we also cut back to Superboy. We're kind of in between these things where the prince actually is like, hey, you know what? I'd like to volunteer to help you build the ark, uh, build the altar, which is a traditional ceremony for the wedding, for the groom to do. So the prince will come along. And even though he's coming along with Superboy, it's now time for two people to say goodbye or rather a person and their ship. Yes, because as they, the team, or actually our grouping here, got introduced to Baby, is the name of this new baby, uh, Baby Bioship. Uh, McGann is flying her mother and her sister, as well as Syria, to um, to some place where to a place where they can build the ceremonial canopy to go alongside this altar. And this is when Bioship reveals that, you know, it's time. Um, it's time I put in my cash my checks put in for my pension you know i'm getting too old for this i got one more day of retirement <laughs> everything here and she reveals bioship reveals that um this is her last flight so mcgann is obviously very sad about this but she's also very understanding um as we is clear in the show bioship has been rocking with McGann at least for 10 years because she tells the story about how she first met Bioship because Bioship was originally intended for John Johns for his flight to Earth so that he could become a hero over there. But what she did was she bonded with the ship first so that the ship would allow her to stow away and not reveal her presence to John once he landed on Earth or even before that. And it's a heartfelt moment because we get a chance to hear from McGann's mom, like how much of an impact the ship had on her life or McGann's life and seeing the joy that came that happened from her. Emery obviously is a little upset because he's just like, again, this is one of those, it seems like one of those cases where she wasn't the favorite daughter, but Syria is just genuinely interested in hearing about this story of bond and love and, the way that McGann was able to find herself through this journey she was able to embark on. All this is happening um, while our boys end up meeting with a, get, having a reunion with a Martian from the past. Yes, because the formerly Green Beetle uh, is now free and he gets to now say like, hey, by the way, again, sorry about all that. <laughs> Back in the day, <laughs> I'm ready to help build an altar. So honestly, he owed Superboy this favor, so it makes sense. Um, so as they go to build the altar, you know they're warned it's going to be a strenuous experience. Get ready. Um, back with the the bride side, 
uh, McGann uses her body language and micro expression skills uh, to figure out that <laughs> the priestess was once in a relationship with the prince. Um, and even though she's like, okay, you know, it was hard for me. This is where it, everyone starts sharing a little bit more. And we see that, we hear that um, McGann's mom was disowned from the family for marrying a white Martian. So everyone really has gone through these things because of the caste system. The priestess said, you know, I'm, I was a green Martian. He's a red, like how I had no business being with him. That's why, you know, kind of influenced her decision to become a priestess. So as we're opening up, we cut back to the groom side and we get one of the most hilarious lines in the show where they talk about John Jones. They say, oh, you know what? Before he left, he was kind of different. Um, but on Earth, he learned racial tolerance. <laughs> <laughs> what a funny joke, writers. <laughs> uh, I, I wonder if that's. There might be something there because he chose to be a black man on on Earth. Um, <laughs> I wonder if it was like he was forced to learn racial tolerance. <laughs> he really had no other choice. I'm just saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but along with racial tolerance, um, Maat shares that he also realized that his brother-in-law picked up on empathy and compassion which is something that he continuously shared through his um, satellite streams to Mars in hopes that maybe that would also change things. Um, this is a great conversation because this is happening between um, Matt, Matt and um, Connor while Gar, Ba'ars, and Prince Jem are um, using molten rocks to help build this ceremonial altar, which causes Gar to experience a moment of like, strong i'm assuming ptsd here because his mind starts playing tricks on him and when you're thinking about hot lava of course you gotta think about our boy hot lava yes he has this vision of brion uh coming out of the lava and getting ready to attack and this is actually very reminiscent i think of the haunted episode of teen titans Mm-hmm. Where Robin hallucinates seeing Deathstroke and starts freaking out at everybody. Same thing happens here where um, Beast Boy starts freaking out and eager to get Superboy out of out from the lava where they are. Unfortunately, uh, in the confusion and rupture and everything, Superboy's tank that he was using to breathe gets ruptured. So now he's losing oxygen or I guess oxygen. I'm not sure what's in there, actually. But whatever it I think, is. I think it was oxygen. They, they make a comment about oxygen at some point. So I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. He's losing whatever. Uh, <laughs> whatever he <laughs> needs to live, he's losing it. Um, and bef- and uh, Beast Boy ends up in his confusion again, in his this beast form taking Superboy up towards the surface, which they're all told is very dangerous right now. So before we get to find out what happens with him, McGann and her sister have a conversation and things are tense between them um, as they're trying to 
build this wedding canopy and they're having an argument about their past and eventually McGance calls her her sister out and says Emery you were supposed to protect me from all this racism for all this hatred and you didn't you just cared about being popular and Emery responds I was just a kid what did you want me to do and this is where it clicks for Megan finally that Yes, everything that's happened to her is wrong. She never deserved the the hatred that came her way just for existing. But at the end of the day, what she needed to remember, all everybody in the family needed to remember what they were all kids doing the best they could. And the kids just didn't, they didn't know how to do this. They couldn't handle a complex issue. Adults still have trouble handling it. So this is a big moment of, of, in their relationship, a big point, because now they finally understand none of it what that happened was their fault. It was society around them that pushed them to this point. Um, so it's a really good moment between the sisters. But elsewhere, we got to worry about the boys. But before we do, I do want to bring up something mm-hmm. that also came up during that conversation, and it was... Um... McGann and Emery's mother coming into the conclusion of that statement. Um, at one point during their argument, McGann and Emery both turn into their full Martian form. Um, the one that's, you know, the only it's the more like a hunking, like hulking mast form that they have. And it's their again, their true Martian form. During that time, um, Jean, she comes over and she tells McGann that, you know, she's sorry for everything that she had to experience. But something that she wanted to point out was that McGann, when she turned into her white Martian form, um, she said that that was what she really, truly looks like. And she wants to be seen like that. And Jen says, no, I actually felt the psychic wake wave coming off of you of faults of a pretender when you turned into that form. Back in your humanoid form, this like Megan, Megan, this like hello Megan look as a white Martian, I can tell that's truly you. And I'm sorry that I never actually accepted that before today. Um, so a lot of healing is definitely happening here. Um, who's not getting healed is Superboy because my man's is out here struggling to catch his breath on the surface of Mars while Beast Boy has basically left him behind because he still sees Geoforce chasing after him, accusing him of failing him, of being the person that turned him into this thing. And now in order to get revenge, he's going to kill Connor and then Beast Boy. Um, So when Gar, he reaches this point where it's just like he's tripped, he's transformed back into his normal self and he knows he can't get away. Uh, Geoforce comes in, this illusion of Geoforce comes in for the final blow but then all of a sudden everything stops Geoforce melts away and the only person that's there is McGann in this mindscape that um, that Gar now has and she's telling him you know Geoforce, this Geoforce you have here is fake. Um, I can tell though that during the attacks you during the attacks from the Garoons earlier and a bunch of the other times you've been mind blast, you experience a psychic and somehow, or actually rather a psychosomatic wound on your mind. 
So she she's able to heal the bodily injury that he experienced. However, she does tell him that you still have too much, too much trauma that you've gone through, and I can never heal that. So I think it's time for you to actually talk to someone. And this was this is what breaks Gar out from his state of like just basically going into this like PTSD, very action-oriented mindset that he had. Yeah, and um it also helps that the prince uh does pick him up physically. Uh so the mental and physical support helps. But in a really you unexpected twist. When they meet up with McGann, she admits, I didn't even know you guys were in trouble. So I didn't help Beast Boy. The McGann in your head was not me. And it's revealed that a legionnaire actually stepped in for that moment. And they kind of wonder, were we supposed to do that? Was that always us helping Beast Boy? Or was that something new that happened as an as a result of this uh us in the timeline? So they're now questioning are they doing the right thing are they staying too close but in a bright note for once we see that the canopy has been built by the bride the altar is ready uh so the wedding is coming and before we go to the next episode we get a great post credit scene where superman is up on the watchtower talking to lois and he's like oh i'm not up here to avoid diaper duty at all and as he's having this very lively conversation with Lois, uh, she mentions that his uh, her eye, John Jonathan uh, Kent's eyes might be glowing a little bit. So Superman immediately rushes to Cyborg for a boom tube in case he lasers a whole house, and because those insurance premiums would be crazed. Yeah, if you've seen enough Smallville, you know how much that, that how much damage that can <laughs> cause. Um. So now that Johnny might involuntarily activate his Kryptonian powers, we hop on over to our last episode, Involuntary. Again, we are back on Mars. Um, everything is happening here where McGann, Connor, and Gar are saying their goodbyes to Bioship as she retires. This is the first time I've ever seen somebody in like the criminal justice system who retires and doesn't actually get shot at <laughs> la almost last day. <laughs> um, so McGann is sad about this but she's also happy about the fact that baby will be joining the family and taking bioship's place as they travel back um at the same time Ma'alifa Ek he is entering the royal arena and takes the gene bomb that the Sad had given him and places it inside the royal palace uh he activates the timer it's in it's in Martian um so I can't tell you how much time is actually on this thing but what he doesn't know is that there is someone else watching him. And it's not the Legionnaires. It's this person in this yellowish spear of some sort. And we realize this person has actually been around at certain points in our previous episodes, too. But here's what chance we got a chance to see almost their full face. Because, um, but... Of course, we have to keep on going. So when Malafek returns back to his cave, the person there waiting for him is not a cold, cold chair, but rather his sister, Megan. And, you know, she is here to beat an apology out of themselves <laughs> because she's just here having made the realization she had with her older sister. 
she does apologize. However, it's not quite as easy for Macomb. He has gone over the edge here. He, in previous season, let innocent people die to achieve his goals. So an apology is not quite fixing things really quickly. Um, but you can see that Emery is trying. She asks the priestess, do you have any advice on what I can do next? And they just recommend, she just recommends just keep trying, just keep learning and growing and accepting, which is, again, a really good continuing lesson they're having here. And now the Legionnaires are watching everything, trying to keep distance. They're saying, let's be even more distant, just in case we're starting to mess up the timeline here. And we go back, we get a flashback to um, the argument of between Martians, because we're trying to figure out what's going on. How did everything get so bad around here? And Beast Boy finds a discrepancy in the video. So that training from Elongated Man, Ralph Dibney <laughs> coming in handy. Um, so he finds that there's a servant that went in as a white Martian but did not leave. He did not see him on the the servant on the detail. So the other servant that was with that one, they decide we don't know who that is, but we know who that is. Let's go and see um, what who this could possibly be, and maybe they might have a lead for us. So this servant, this person that they go in to talk to, is Ka'ar Ma'ang. Um, McGann, Connor, and Gar enter into Aashen territory and they find his home. Um, there's definitely some commentary as they're walking through, um, such as Beast Boy and Connor both saying that, like, wow, this is like very terrible living conditions for these Martians here. And McGann stating, well, obviously, well, not obviously it is, but rather obviously the Garoons and the Blood Ends did not care about their living conditions. And she's sad to see that they're place like this um so they come up to the home of car and they're having this conversation with him they're asking him what did he actually see he shares that someone came up to him asked him to help her and help her enter the place but this is a fun fact for that was introduced at an earlier point is that even though martians can change their shape their true color will always be known by the rest of martians and this comes up, you know, we see a lot with like um, McGann, where it was just like Ja'an knew that McGann was a white Martian from the very beginning of the show. Um, so Ka'ar knew that this person that he was helping, who presented themselves as a servant girl of the Aashen, was not actually a white Martian, but rather a Garun, a green Martian in disguise. So this causes the the team to wonder, why is it that Rokar, the um one of the other manhunters living on Mars, didn't know that this white Martian was actually a green Martian. And Kaar responds with the appropriate, well, Rokar doesn't care because as he's a you know, he's a green Martian. So when a green Martian is imitating a white Martian, he wasn't gonna pay any mind to it because to him, to because to them, the Garoons don't really care. Um, so yeah, now that oh. I, I, I no, I just want to say I really like that point because he's like, like, why would you do that? Why would yeah. you want to be 
the, you know, the oppressed member of the society. So, you know, it's a really strong, like, damn, <laughs> in case mm -hmm. you were questioning that things were bad here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> things are real bad. <laughs> so now that they have this new piece of information, they head on back to um to the to the arena, to the royal palace where Prince Sha'em's party is in just happening. There's like magical fireworks happening everywhere. Um, but Prince Jem isn't really happy about this party because all he really cares about is trying to find out what is going on with his father's death. Also, he is still a little upset probably about this relationship that he had with Syria in the past. So when Connor and McGann arrive to share their information, um, they show him the psychic image of the person that is believed to be the lead suspect in his father's murder. And he just real. it seems like he, something dawns upon him and he requests to be left alone as he immediately starts to leave while Connor beast boy and McGann are just watching the, the magic fireworks show. Yeah. Basically it looks like that fireworks display from star Wars where, uh, the Palpatine is all evil. It looks a lot oh, wow. like that. <laughs> like a Jedi influence life. Um, <laughs> so while they're watching this fireworks display, Superboy sees with his micro vision that there's magic in it. And that's when he dawns on him. What he saw in the crime scene was a magic trace. And when he follows it back, it leads back to the priestess that we've been following for episodes. And she they kind of all reach her at the same time, the prince and the heroes. And she reveals, I did, yes, I was the one that killed the king. And I had snuck into the palace to try to plea for the king to allow me and the prince to marry, even though we were from different castes, but the king held fast. And she let, lost control of her powers that day and killed the king. Um, so knowing how much of a wild crime she committed, and knowing that if she had stayed close to the prince, she would have discovered the truth naturally as they shared. She could never be fully open with him because she would find his thought, her thoughts. So she essentially became the priestess to be celibate, to be away from the mental links, to hide under suspicion. Um, so this this huge bombshell of the of her being the killer of the king comes up, but she does want to clarify she had nothing to do with the Zeta tube or satellite that would not have benefited her mission whatsoever. So she, she it, one mystery solved, but others to go. And in a really sad line, Prince Jim says, maybe if I had been braver and stood up to my father, about this marriage, he'd still be alive. And of course, in a world for the psychics, um, this news travels super fast. So everyone really already finds out that Syria, the pre the alone Martian, was responsible for the death of the king. Um, this does help to quell some of the tension. Um, however, with individuals like Arrest Edda, who are very quick with manipulating the crowd, Ress comes up and says, even though he knows he refused, he still refuses to believe that a Garoon would kill the king. And 
um, one of the manhunt just comes up and says, yes, we got the full confession from her. So Rest decides to say that this is why the caste system exists, is to preserve order. Because if a Garoon could commit a crime like this, it means that the Ashens are definitely likely to do this as well. So we need to make sure that there's still our cast to preserve this order because the Aashens will continue to thwart and to conspire to destroy our way of life, especially if they keep getting this knowledge from Earth about equality and everything like that that can destroy their cast. And it is wild. This is the most Fox News thing I've ever heard in my <laughs> entire life that came up in two seconds. Um, thankfully, though, Prince JM completely objects to that, explains that the caste system is responsible for this whole mess to begin with. Yeah, it was just counter, counter uh, <laughs> all day. <laughs> and yeah, love to the prince is like, we shape how ridiculous is we're a society of shapeshifters and we still racist. Like, <laughs> yo, <laughs> wild. Um, so the queen is like, all right. We have a lot of argue. We have a lot of arguments, basically, but a lot of debate. But today, let's sit back for a second. Let's enjoy this miraculous birthday. And things are looking up. The javelin arrives with Superman and Martian Manhunter. And again, you guys, you know it. If things look too good, they are because the hidden enemy reveals themselves, does something to the bomb, and draws attention to the bomb. So the heroes immediately, Superboy rich, <laughs> just rips up the floor, kills the decor <laughs> instantly, and they see the bomb and they realize there's a virus inside. But because the virus can target uh, green Martians, Beast Boy and, and McGann, who have green Martian DNA within them, are too, it's too risky to take either one of them. So Superboy punches through the floor to get the bomb into lava. It's got to be him. And again, because he's been deprived from sunlight, because of all these, what he's been through lately, he is weakened state, so the lava does hurt him severely. And he is punching. He's bloodied up, you know, in a way we haven't seen. And right as the bomb's about to go off, it, it's revealed that there is kryptonite in the bomb. And... It's tough to see because as soon as you think that Superboy is able to burn off the virus, the whole thing explodes in front of his face as he's in this lava. Nice little call back. Now I'm going to call this back to like, what was it, season one that you pointed this out? Yeah. And, and dang, I, like, I've been waiting for this day for so long. It is finally here. Uh, too bad this has to be about the death of Superboy. Uh, <laughs> because as this bomb blows up, um, McGann and Gar, they float into the hole to see if Superboy is okay. They're calling for him, pleading for him to come out from wherever he is. At that moment, Martian Manhunter and Superman float in. Superman starts to get weak, and that's when he also reveals that there's kryptonite traces in the air, showing that this bomb was intended to destroy so much. And Martian Manhunter having now to be the voice of reason because McGann is distraught that she can't feel uh, Superboy's mind touch. Gar, who looks off in the distance, and he sees this shadow marked on the um, on some rocks, which is very 
a clear example of unfortunately of when a bomb goes off and there's that shadow remnant of an individual um that we kind of hear about a lot of and superman being almost ko'd martian manhunter tells him we gotta leave now because there's nothing that we can do we'll look for every a solution for everything afterwards and mm-hmm. oh and this leads oh my bad it is like you go ahead. You go ahead. Then I was like, "Oh, there's no, no, you can go as because I was like, "Ah, oh, it's like I don't have anything else." <laughs> this one. Um. So now that everybody is brought back to safety, um, they were able to evacuate the entire arena in time, so no other individual was harmed. Uh, it's becoming more and more clear that Superboy might have made the ultimate sacrifice here, and. Now, McGann is just heartbroken. She's again, she still can't feel his mind presence. So, Emery rushes to her side to console her. And we're just left now with McGann calling out, pleading for Connor to answer. She's broken down into tears. And it gets even sadder because our end credit scene is probably one of the saddest things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's literally just. The sounds of McGann crying mm-hmm. and nothing else. No gags, no music. It's just McGann crying, weeping for the husband she was going to marry just a day later. So that ends, that wraps up our four episode intro to uh, Young Justice Phantoms here with Superman, Superboy, and McGann. Um, so now, while we try to figure out where do we go from here as McGann is heartbroken on her wedding altar? Uh, here's a podcast from the Forgotten Entertainment family that you should be listening to the next time you're not listening to us. Have those Marvel blues while Black Widow's theatrical release date is consistently delayed? Well, turn that frown upside down because yet another MCU podcast is here to guide you through the MCU one movie at a time. That's right, Mike. Each episode, we break down one movie from the MCU and talk about its connections with the source material, comic books. Which means I get to learn so many fascinating things like about Alpha Flight. The Canadian Avengers. Who knew? And Moon Knight. A multiple personality superhero. Seriously? And then there's Man-Thing. Yeah, not really sure how to explain that one. Pretty sure no one can. Yet another MCU podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right. Uh, We have four episodes here to introduce Young Justice Phantoms to us, all focused on Superboy and McGann. Um, Out of our four here, which one do you feel was the most whelmed episode? Well, any episode with micro expressions is going to be my favorite <laughs> automatic. Um, but yeah, seriously, there were some really good stuff in these opening episodes. The premiere was a little heavy. <laughs> it's yeah. a, uh, you know, it's a reorientation into the series. But the other three episodes were pretty solid. What puts Volatile out in, in front for me was it was a combination of everything. So we have the ongoing mystery murder of the king. We have Beast Boy dealing with his past trauma. And we have McGann trying to, like, unpack her family's um, racism and the internal hate that she carries against people who didn't defend her. And I feel like it's just so important, that conversation that she has with her sister about them just being kids. Mm-hmm. Um, that really hits even more so than the previous episode. Because um, for anyone with siblings, you'll understand you have an argument with your sibling about something way in the past, and 
you know, it's not always the case, but sometimes you look back and say there were things outside of it that brought this brought us to this point. It wasn't just something she did, he did, whatever. Um, so it's a really important lesson between resolving siblings. I thought the Beast Boy track was handled really wonderfully about how he is slowly breaking down and eventually explodes and needs help. It does it's not just the easy magic fix. He does need counseling as well. So it really has a good combination of, of action, drama, and really pushes character relationships to new places, even though it's not necessarily the most um, plot pivotal going down the line. it I think it does stand out maybe because of that, maybe because they decided to slow down and really get into these characters, get into their heads and let us feel them and feel what they were going through. And I do have to say um, really quickly about the premiere. I love the scene about Violet choosing to embrace Islam or at least give it a try. Why they put it at the end of this episode is beyond me. Uh, the first episode because she hasn't seen for the next three. Yeah. So I have no idea why this scene was there. It's a great scene. I don't know what it was doing there. <laughs> but what about you? What's your most whelmed? Yeah, I'm also going to give it to, to Volatile because um, I appreciated the conversations that were being held. Like, we, it's, it's surprising to for me to see it's like they they stress so often that this was a 10 it's been 10 years since you know we first got introduced to these characters and you realize how much they've grown in this mm -hmm. episode here where mcgann is ready to have that conversation with her sister and recognizing that she can't put the entire blame on a societal construct um that was for that forced her to be in the experience that she had also, I really appreciated the um the conversation that Connor had with Maat um to have just like sharing about like, hey, you know, I appreciate your strength and your resolve during the this entire trial that is building the altar, while also um, you know, having these like very blunt conversations of what it was like for them to be outsiders because of the fact that for Maat, because he's a white Martian. Um, his wife was basically disowned by her family and him actually saying that saying showing us how intense these um the, this level of bigotry really is so but coming from that is also superboy being able to say the right things he's not trying to justify why one person did one thing and the other person did the other thing he's looking at the person and saying i see how you're feeling and i want to acknowledge your feelings more so than anything else. So it's showed me how much they've grown as individuals. And for regards to Beast Boy, um, I'm glad that there was that moment, because I feel like this happens to Beast Boy a lot, where his therapy comes from Mindscape things. <laughs> but I'm glad that they finally said in it, hey, we can heal your mind in more ways than one. However, you have so much trauma you're still going through. You need to talk to someone about this. It, and I'm glad that they did that because it shows that it's not just a magic, like scientific fix for some of these things. Mm -hmm. A lot of it does boil down to 
if you need help, you need to talk to someone. And it's clear from his flashbacks that he's handling and dealing with a lot. Like his aggression towards um, Emery when she was dressed up as his mom and then as Rita. And then every single time that he was getting the flashback during the um, the mind blast, you're seeing him relive Geoforce killing Baron in such a terrible, horrifying way. So Beast Boy's been through a lot, and I'm glad that they introduced that concept of, like, here's mental health that um, conversations about mental health that you should be having. I'm also glad that was introduced in the Violet scene. I, I agree, though. I do wish that Violet came up again at some other point because I don't want that to be lost. Um, but overall, mm-hmm. I will say that Volatile um, did a great job in giving us a grown-up version of our – or more or like the – uh, yeah, I guess grown-up version of our heroes, heroes who've experienced things and know that, like, we don't have to just solve our problems with our fists. We can actually show compassion and empathy and, you know, as Mar- Marsh Manhunter rules is a racial tolerance as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's also, you know, this all-continuing theme of Beast uh, Superboy, you know, he is he is of two worlds. He's mm-hmm. not conventional. He, 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 no one else like him exists. So, you know, for him, tolerance is necessity yeah. because that's who he is. That was his whole life. So it this it does make sense and it does fit for him to be experiencing this and living through this with Megan again because uh, that's his life. That's literally yeah. what he's gone through. Um, <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, one half Lex Luthor. I feel like he's yeah. going to experience some things. You might, if in certain universes, you might shave your head for no reason. Uh, <laughs> if you're Superboy. <laughs> um. All right. So now that Volatile um, let itself ahead of the pack, it is time to talk about some comic book stuff. Um. We this this time around for comic books, um, we're gonna include a bit more of the history of like some of the heroes that were presented here. Um, Superboy, I don't think we need to tell you anymore about Superboy. We got his <laughs> full origin story. Um, we've covered it also in the Reign of Superman uh, movie, so we know who he is. However, we did get introduced, or rather got a very uh, in-depth look at the fourth planet from the sun. Uh, so today is a little bit about what is Mars. Um, as I mentioned, it's the fourth planet from the sun. Um, it's one of our eight planets because I don't think we're including Pluto anymore, unfortunately. No. <laughs> uh, so Mars as a location in the DC universe first came up in the comic book New Adventure Comics number 12 back in 1937. Um, nothing big about it. It was just that, like, it took place in the future. And, you know, whenever we talk about things taking place in the future back in the day, it was always, like, space travel. So Mars was the number one location for them. Uh, but Mars probably got a bit more popular in DC storytelling with the introduction of Martian Manhunter following his creation, Detective Comics number 225, in November of 1955 by Joseph Samashan and um, Joe Serta. And... In this story, um, once again, Mars is home to the green and white Martians. So they're the red Martians is a entire I would I think it's as far as I can find a new concept, probably created for Young Justice to create 
that more elaborate caste system. And from that story about Mars is actually called Ma'alaka Andra, um, which is a reference to C.S. Lewis's Out of the Silent Planet, where Mars was actually called Malakandra. Ah, so that's who you have to blame. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we have so many letters in that name. <laughs> um, and on the planet, much like explained on the show, there's a division between the green and the white Martians that causes bigotry. And unfortunately, as we know from the um, Martian Manhunter storyline, the eventual extinction of the green Martians because of the actions of the white Martians that led to their banishment. Um, so John Jones is more or less the last green Martian. Uh, what happened to him was a, becoming after becoming um, living his life, having his family and having his kids. Unfortunately, they were all killed by white Martians who created due to this like civil war on the planet. So that's why for many years, uh, John Jones was always considered the last Martian of Mars. Mm. Um, but this would later change into the last green Martian of Mars after it was revealed that the white Martians were banished to another planet. And from that grouping, uh, following Infinite Crisis, we get introduced to Miss Martian, who was created by Jeff Johns and Tony Daniels in the 2006 issue Teen Titans number 37. And her story, very much like we saw in Young Justice, um, it's a bit unclear if she's the actual biological niece of um, of Martian Manhunter. Um, but the one thing that is true about her is that she is a white Martian. I other... just, sorry, oh. I just picture her uh, calling Martian Manhunter Unk, like in Creed. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Rocky. <laughs> Uncle John. That, that would be funny. That would. <laughs> and the other thing about her, too, is that her name is Megan Morse. That is her super. That is her um, alter, alter ego. Uh, and this is actually not because of Hello, Megan. Oh. This is because John had two friends, one named Ben Morse and a girlfriend named Megan. All right, John. Look, that that. <laughs> And that's like Krillin naming his baby after his ex. Like, come on. <laughs> Let's put a little thought into it. Um. So, yeah, when Megan Morse first came on the scene in this particular comics, we get introduced to a very similar Miss Martian as we see in our show. Um. And again, this changes the fact that the other thing that happens is that she presents herself first as a green Martian before it's revealed that she's a white Martian. And this is because um, she didn't want to show her white Martian self because she was expecting to experience the same level of hate that was common from other Martians when some, after hearing of other people, after hearing about the atrocities that the white Martians had done. So as a way to redeem her white Martian ancestors for their evil actions, she committed herself to becoming a superhero and put herself as a green Martian because from the way that she saw it, if she was accepted as a green Martian, maybe eventually she could show her white Martian self. But until then, she knew that as a white Martian, she was doing good in the world. Fair enough. You know, yeah. uh, not to be limited by, you know, what the, the past and just trying to make your own future forge ahead. Now, the biggest change that I found um, was for one character in particular, 
Makam X, as we now call him, or <laughs> Ma'alafa X. So this is going to be probably our WTF moment in comics, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> okay. Um, so Ma'alafa X was created by John Ostrander, who um, you know was part, who was also a part of the creation of the Suicide Squad. We also he was also created by Tom Mandrake and first appeared in Martian Manhunter number zero back in 1998. This is confusing um, because you assume that Miss Martian and Ma'alafa Ek are more connected. However, in original comic book storytelling, Ma'alafa Ek is the twin brother of John Jones. Oh. Okay, that changes things a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he ends up being the arch nemesis of Martian Manhunter. We were actually we actually saw him in Justice League Doom. He was the one pretending to be the woman that ah. gave John the, the thing that lit him on fire. <laughs> that was him that had yeah. him burning. Oh, <laughs> like Usher. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, and since then, he's been working to trying to basically commit the genocide of Green Martians by finally killing his brother. And the reason why I say trying to um, commit the genocide is because throughout the multiverse, it's very unclear what his actual Martian pigmentation actually is. Oh. Yeah, so in the comics, again, this is the bro- the twin brother of John. So a lot of times in the comics, he does come up green. We saw some movies where he was green. Even in the Supergirl TV series, he was green. Um, however, in episodes of Batman, The Brave and the Bold, he is, he is a white Martian. And at some point in comics, he's also red. So quite hmm. unsure what his skin tone actually is. However, we do know that Ma'alafa Ek is one bad dude. I guess he's like that Chappelle show character. You know the one. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Oh, no. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, God. This is... Google that, y'all. Don't... But Google it in your spare time off your work computer. Don't do that at home. And no, it was a different time. Uh, as <laughs> as my quick WTF moment in television, in Supergirl, uh, McGann was John's love interest. It was not his cousin, definitely not his cousin, um, <laughs> as they establish, and who she presents herself as a surviving Green Martian before revealing that she is indeed a White Martian, which causes some friction for a while, but he gets over it because you know. It's uh, he's very he's very accepting and there ain't that many left. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he knows racial tolerance. <laughs> yeah. So I found that a little weird having found Supergirl and Young Justice around the same time. It was like, that's McGann, but it's not. OK. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> do not play Sweet Home Alabama after this podcast. Whatever you do. <laughs> Uh, and speaking of wrapping up, that wraps up our episode for today. So be sure to check us out on our socials and our Patreon where we're building up our content over there. And in the meantime, take care of yourselves. And most importantly, remember that regardless if you're black, white, green, red, yellow, give racial tolerance a chance. That's all we got to say. 
uh, and I'm going to say mandatory. No, no chances you do it. No, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes it can be tough to have these conversations to educate. It is not always your role to educate other people. But if there is an opportunity where you can and you're feeling up to it in the place where you can, education is the way we stop this. Just a lot of racial intolerance is just pure ignorance. So correcting mistakes and showing people that there is literally no difference except skin color and how we were raised in culture. Those are the differences. But besides that, we are all fundamentally human beings on this hurtling rock. Uh, so let's make it easy for each other, you know? Yeah. If the sod can get it, y'all can too. <laughs> yeah. But don't get it like the sod does, all right? No, yeah, he, don't, yeah, yeah. Not that, like... <laughs> oh, what, like one one he, he was he was right but he was also out of line but yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Yet another DC animated podcast is a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. If you liked what you heard, leave a review and share us with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at YADC Animated Pod.